0: We are going through the book of Romans verse by verse by verse by verse without skipping any chapters or any verses. Uh, Three weeks ago, we started Romans 13, and uh, because I'm extra long-winded and because uh, Christians and government is such a big topic, uh, I I failed to preach the whole thing, and so you guys were so gracious to give me a part two. Well, uh, I was out of town one Sunday, and so Justin preached so well the beginning of Romans 14 and the end of 13. And then uh, last week, sickness came through my house. Uh, Yes, it was COVID. And yes, we're all testing uh, negative right now. So praise God for that leaving our household. Uh, And so now I get to finally preach part two. Uh, And so, man, welcome back to Romans 13, Christians in government. Uh, My hope is to Uh, not offend any of you, but if you are offended, again, my hope is to offend both the right and the left because this is not going to be tailored to uh, any one political party, okay? Because the Bible uh, is not tethered to Republicans or Democrats. It's tethered to Jesus, his rule and reign as king, uh, currently and coming king physically to literally take over all the governments of the earth. And we await and welcome his arrival as King of King and Lord of Lords. Uh, So this is Christians and Government Part 2. You should have got a study guide. This will aid you in furthering the text. And so please hold on to that. If you want to take notes on the back of it, feel free. Uh, I am going to start my clock right now. Please. Justin, come help me out, brother. I think I'm out of range. This has maybe a one foot radius. No, you're good. Thank you. All right. So if you want to turn in your Bible, feel free to Romans 13 or your phone, but all the texts are going to appear on the screen uh, behind me. And so I'm going to read the whole thing and we're going to jump back in overview verses five and six. Uh, I'm sorry, rather four and five. Then we're going to spend the bulk of the time in six and seven, which we didn't cover at all last time. So let's read For because of this, you also pay taxes. Yes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. I am so glad that God has not left us without clear direction on how we are to function in the societies that we find ourselves. And so let's jump in uh, real quick and review three through five, starting at verse four. For he, God, is I'm sorry, for he is God's servant for your good. The he there is the governing authority, the government. God's servant and notice for good. Do you see that? Now many of us imagine that if there was no government, that would be very good. Okay? I want to be my own government. I have, you know, the Imago Day, and therefore I know what is right and can perceive how to operate in society. The problem is uh, we would all be our own little governing authorities. And what happens when our laws transgress the next person's laws? Who who, who meets out justice at that point? Well, whoever has more power. And then what tends to happen, as you know, if, if If bigger governments aren't constraining evil, evil then begins to accumulate, and those who have the most power uh, begin to rule and reign, often in a very evil and coercive and oppressive way. Okay, so thank God we live at least for now in a government that allows us to gather like this and to preach that will allow us. Literally, I had to get permission for us to go uh, on 828. I had to go through both the police department of Wilkinsburg and the council of Wilkinsburg. And they were like, yes and amen. We like churches. We want churches to not only exist in Wilkinsburg, but flourish. In fact, we had a big community day yesterday. It was called Transform the Triangle. The mayor showed up uh, and we got to talk with them and we traded numbers. Really nice guy. And he is thankful that our church exists. Okay, he's the governing authority, friendly to Eternal City Church. And we want to serve this community and, as best we can, even serve the local government here. Okay, we, Christians should not be anti-government. Okay, we should not be, because the Bible is not. In fact, here, he, government, governing authorities, is God's servant. God rules through the rulers, governs through the governors, and he provides a common grace Through government. Where do you get the common grace thing? Look, for your good. Okay, for your good. Now, for many of us, we don't know exactly what common grace is. It's a theological concept rooted in Scripture, and Wayne Grudem has one of the most helpful and clear definitions of common grace that I've found. Here it is. We may define common grace as follows. Common grace is the grace of God which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation salvation would be special grace saving grace electing grace the word common here indicates something that is common to all people and is not restricted to believers or to the elect only and so government is god's common grace gift to his creatures whether christians or not. Now, here is common grace quickly in the Bible. James 1.17, James says every good and perfect gift comes down from above. So if there's any good gift in the world, it is from God mangoes are common grace gifts of God. Avocados are common grace gifts from God. Um, man, I, I had a fantastic watermelon today. Common grace gift of God. Yes and amen. And we are about to enjoy in the back a fantastic dinner after this is all over. And if you're a Christian here or not, guess what? You get to enjoy that gift of grace. That's common grace. Okay. So And, and what we need to know is We as Christians who have biblical revelation, special revelation, we can see that God is the giver of all good things. And we can then through the gift, praise the giver. That's actually the purpose of God's gifts. Not that we would serve and worship them, but that through them, through the enjoyment of God's gifts, we would worship and serve him, give him glory, give him praise, right? Okay. So every good and perfect gift is from above coming down because God is up wherever heaven is. It's up coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That, that kind of cryptic last part simply means this. Uh, God is the father of the heavenly lights. Genesis, remember he, he created the stars also. And when the lights shine down on the earth, they cast shadows, especially the biggest star, the sun to us. Right? When it shines down, it hits clouds. Uh, it, as it moves, it, it makes shadows. And God does not shift or change like shadows from the light coming from the stars that he created. Okay? So that's all that means. Now, Matthew, Jesus uh, is in the Sermon on the Mount here. And listen to what he says here. This will be relevant for later in the sermon as well. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay? That was common teaching of the rabbis, scribes and Pharisees of the day. But I say to you, no, 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 no. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And the idea here is like father, like son, like father, like daughter. For he, God, makes his son to rise on the evil And the good, evil, non-Christian, good Christian. Only good because we have Christ's righteousness granted to us, right? So the the evil person who does not care for God, does not worship or serve God, gets the sunshine. And the, the Christian also gets the sunshine. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Just, just in Christ. Unjust, not in Christ, not Christian. And now you know that rain and sunshine are the absolute minimum for life on earth if we're gonna survive. Because without the rain and without the sun, no plants. Without plants, no animals. Without plants and animals, who dies? We do. Both because of oxygen and because of food. Okay, So the the basics of life are God's gift to mankind. Oxygen, water, food. And he gives them to all liberally. For if you, love those who lo- uh, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Like, we're, we're cronies when we're tax collectors. we You scratch my back, I scratch yours. And if you greet only your brothers, meaning those whom you love and maybe even your relatives, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Gentiles in this context would be those far from God. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so the point is, when we love enemies and bless enemies, we are being just like God, because that's exactly what He does. And might I remind you, you, friend, were an enemy of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right, And now, as we just sung, we went from enemies to what? Friends. And not just friends, though we are that. We're more than that. We are sons and daughters adopted into the family. God takes enemies who are in rebellion against him, not only makes them friends, like, hey, we should get a coffee sometime. I'd like that. No, you live in my home. You eat my food. You shower in my shower. When I go somewhere in the car, you come with me, son and daughter. Part of the family in the same household. that's what God does to us who were enemies and so we are to be like God and love those on the outside not just those on the inside does that make sense okay so God's common grace gift to us in our text is government okay government now what I want to do from here is uh talk about let's see what time man we are running out of time already this is not good one more minute here, and then, and then we'll, we'll move to taxes, okay? For he is God's servant for your good, common grace, right? But if you do wrong, be afraid. Why? For he does not bear the sword in vain. Now, this is a metaphor. Bearing the sword is God's authority for governing officials to use force to curb evil. This is the common grace of government. It, it curbs and lessens and punishes evil. And that's why uh, Paul says here, look, if you're going to go out and do wrong, you should be afraid because the sword is not borne by the government in vain. In other words, they'll use it. The word vain always means empty. It's not an empty thing that police officers have guns and that the judge can pound the gavel and you go away locked up no matter if you want to go or not. Now, we know that the, the justice system is not perfect. We know that. There is no such thing as a perfect justice system on the earth right now, but it's coming. Okay? But we right now are subject to governing authorities who get their authority from God. And the idea is, in a common grace way, in general, I know there's always exceptions, if you are not out doing wrong, you don't have to worry about the government coming after you. In general. Okay? So that means, friends, stay within the law as Christians and you will be fine. Now, we know that in a lot of governments all over the world right now, it's illegal to be a Christian. It's illegal to gather like this. And so, yes, that sword has been given to that government to use against Christians. And that's what it means in Romans 8 when it says not even the sword can separate us from the love of God. In context, sword means government against us. Not even in that context is God against us. He's for us. And often God reverses and judges those governments who persecute his people, but he allows it for a time. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, because of that, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, here's what I want to emphasize for just a minute. We as Christians need to operate within the government we find ourselves in, whether in Egypt or South Korea or China or Pakistan or India, wherever we find ourselves as Christians, the United States of America, we need to operate in the government God has us in. And you do realize he could have had you born anywhere he wanted all over the world. Acts 17 says you're here at this time right now on purpose, right? So, How do we as Christians operate in our governmental system? Well, as much as we can, I want to argue we cooperate with them. Co-together, operate. We want to operate within the blessing of the government and not say we're against all governments. The Christians should never be the ones out causing a riot. Now, if we're out preaching like Paul... And then, you know, a silversmith who is afraid of losing his business wants to start a riot because of what we're preaching. That's not on us preaching. That's on the silversmith who started the riot. If Paul's in the temple uh, and and some of the Jews who hate Paul want to start a riot because they think he brought a Gentile into the temple beyond the Gentile court, that's on them. Hey, but we should not be in the center, rallying up the, cl- the crowds, saying, tear the club up. Anyone remember that song? Yeah, <laughs> me too. And I'm not going to sing it right now. We should not be saying, tear the neighborhood up, tear the neighborhood up. Break windows, smash things. No, absolutely not. Not for Christians. We are not to be rioters. Rather, we are to work with the government. And listen, they should see us as a partner and a friend as I'm thankful, at least at this point, our local government does. The mayor's sitting here having pizza with us you know, yesterday, saying, I love this. I love what you guys are doing. We need more churches to do this. Yes and amen. Okay? And what Paul's saying here to the church at Rome, remember, Nero, who a lot of all millennialists think was the Antichrist. Yes, his name does add up to 666. Yes, he did uh, oppose Christ. Yes, he did take Christians, dip them in tar, hang them on poles, and light up his gardens with them. Okay? Nero is in power at the time. And he's saying, submit to the governing authorities. Wait, that guy? Yes, that guy. Because Paul doesn't want the church at Rome to be viewed as an anti-government threat. He wants them to be able to work either with the government or under the government's radar uh, because our business, friends, is primarily spiritual. Primarily, That doesn't mean we don't seek to transform the culture and seek to make unjust laws just. And it doesn't mean Christians shouldn't try to get into government positions and affect change. All that is legitimate. But we are not to be the ones who are wearing the anti-flag shirts. And yes, that's a band if you're into punk music. Okay. Um, No, I don't have their vinyl at home. I don't. We should not be the ones saying down with America, burn the flag, you know, Christ rules and reigns. Who are you to Christ? No, that should not be us. And yes, I'm using a little bit of exaggeration. Okay. Now, uh, two illustrations real quick. Um, As you all know, we just went through a pandemic and there was a lot of government enforcement, right? A lot of government regulation. Now, we talked last, well, three weeks ago. We talked three weeks ago about when is, when is it okay for the Christian to disobey the governing authorities. And what we said was only when God's authority is being or trying to be usurped by a lower government authority. And then what we said was, no, we should obey God rather than man. You remember that? If you don't remember that, go back and listen to part one. It's online. Okay, now, during the pandemic, um, there's two famous churches that I I respect, both of them. Uh, One is Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., right by the Capitol, led by Mark Dever. And another one out in California uh, called Grace Community Church, led by John MacArthur. Now, what was happening in these communities was... Uh, the government was allowing for gatherings, large gatherings of people, for secular purposes. As in California, like the disp- the weed dispensary stayed open, the clubs stayed open. Uh, you could go to the bar, you could go to the restaurants, but cr- churches are not allowed to meet. Okay, and so both of these churches took different approaches to how they would work with the government. Okay, any of you know the story? I- I- Okay, a couple of you know the story. All right, well, what happened with Capitol Hill Baptist was they just went a little bit south to Virginia because the laws were different than D.C., and they met outside in Virginia. That was their choice. All right, well, if we're not allowed to meet here, we know we're supposed to meet, so we're going to go to Virginia. Uh, John MacArthur's church out in California, they were like, we're meeting anyway. Come stop us. (laughs) That's basically what they did. Okay, now uh, what's interesting is They saw, both of these churches saw, within their not only God-given command to meet, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but they also saw within the First Amendment of the Constitution that their rights as churches were being violated. And did you know that both churches won in court? That the government was wrong to to forbid them to meet? Did you know that? Here's, Here's a quick article. I took secular articles so it wouldn't be biased. It's from the Washington Post. D.C. agrees to pay $220,000 in legal fees to a Baptist church that sued over the coronavirus. Just a few sentences. A D.C. federal court ruled in the congregation's favor in October, granting a preliminary injunction for it to meet outside. Like, all right, you can meet, but you got to be outside. (laughs) It's D.C. The church at the time was worshiping in a field in Virginia. Man, praise God that they were like, we're meeting. Like we're, we're meeting. And by the way, Pennsylvania's rules were not so restricted. We did meet, we, we met as soon as summer hit, we did meet in here. We did close down for a time like everybody, but we weren't in this kind of predicament, thankfully as a church. This week's settlement says it is not an admission of liability or any wrong, but in its, in it, the city said it will not enforce any current or future COVID-19 restrictions to prohibit Capitol Hill Baptist church from gathering as one congregation. The district agrees to pay 220K in legal fees to Capitol Hill Church uh, as it sued over coronavirus meeting restrictions, one of a slew of successful legal challenges by religious groups during the pandemic. The settlement signed Thursday applies to Capitol Hill Baptist Church and 850 member congregations whose theology deems meeting together in person a biblical requirement for the church. Now, what they did was they said, "We're going to work within the government, and we see in the First Amendment the right to meet, and we think the government's wrong. Now, who lost the governing authorities? But not so much because actually the Constitution and its amendment has more authority than the governor's. Did you know that? Because if it continues up to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, who rules by the Constitution, gets to say... No, you guys are way out of bounds here with the Constitution, which is just what happened with Roe v. Wade. Okay, now here's uh, real quick in Newsweek. This is uh, on John MacArthur's church. Church that defied Gavin Newsom's COVID rules gets eight hundred thousand dollars in legal settlement settlement. California and Los Angeles County have agreed to pay a church that repeatedly defied Governor Gavin Newsom's public health restrictions amid the COVID-19 pandemic $800,000 in legal settlements. The Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors voted in favor of the settlement on Tuesday. Uh, The county and the state will each pay $400,000 to Sunny Valley's Grace Community Church to settle a prolonged legal battle that began when the church refused to follow Gavin Newsom's COVID-19 restrictions last year. This Actually, both these articles were written about a year ago. The church was sued by the county for not following restrictions, including and since rescinded banned on indoor worship. While the church also sued the county and the state for restrictions, uh, county officials said Tuesday's settlement was, quote, responsible and appropriate. That sounds like repentance to me. <laughs> responsible and appropriate in light of the february supreme court ruling that found california uh, could not enforce many of its pandemic restrictions on churches okay so so you have to understand what government system am i in and what is my legal recourse to act in the ways i act and so bo- for both of these churches very different approaches okay Uh, and very different humility levels too. I'll just add that, okay? If you're familiar with with kind of the way it went down, very different humility levels, all right? But what happened here in both churches was they found a biblical reason that they should be meeting. They're like, hey, if the strip club's open, we're meeting, period. Okay, If, if, if protests can go on in the streets with thousands of people being encouraged by the government, we can meet. And that's, that literally was the way they reasoned. You were violating the first amendment, our freedom to gather and our religious liberty. Okay. And they won. Okay. So what does that mean? That means churches should work with the government, the constitution governing. Did you know that our three branches of government get their authority from the constitution? Did you know that? It's all set up and authorized by the Constitution. That's why when court proceedings don't get settled, they make it all the way up, and then the Supreme Court gets to decide what's the deal. Because the Constitution, which is what the Supreme Court is supposed to rule by, is the highest authority, even over the president. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's three separate and equal branches of government, legislative, uh, judicial, and executive. Okay. Now, this is not civics class. This is Romans 13. My point is, remember the point, the point is Christians should work within the government system they find themselves in. If you're in Dubai, this looks way different. Way different. If you're in Egypt, this looks way different. If you're in China, this looks way different. But you know what China says? No Christian churches except the ones we authorize. You know what the Chinese Christians say? We must obey God rather than man. And we will gather secretly. It's called the secret church. And throughout all of, if you will, oppressive nations with dictators and and oppressive governments, the church says we must obey God rather than man. And you know what? That's okay. Now, as a side note, you'll learn this if you come to membership class. Okay, a little plug here. God has given the church the authority to make its own decisions with what's called the keys to the kingdom. Okay, this is in uh, Matthew 16. And in Matthew eighteen, okay, when Peter was given the keys, he was given authority to bind and loose. That same phrase is repeated later under church discipline with uh, with Matthew eighteen. Okay, the keys and Jesus being with them and present when the church exercises authority. And so, if you hearken back to about a month ago, we talked about the three areas or institutions God sets up: the family or the home, the church, and what the government. Okay. And each are supposed to act in their own spheres. There's a lot of overlap, but ultimately God gets the authority and he gives each local church. I can argue this from the Bible, each local church, its authority to govern within uh, its respected members. Okay. And so what our church did during lockdown was really between us and God and our members. And trust me, we had a lot of conversations about it, okay? As I'm sure every church did, okay? And praise God, we're we're through all that. Man, we made it out, okay? So my, my point there was to just say, know what governmental system you're in and try to work with the government for what? For not only peacefulness and flourishing, but the advancement of the kingdom of God. Are we yes and amen on that? Okay, good. Now let's move to taxes. All right. For because of this, now what is the this? The this is God's servant. The rulers are appointed by God. They get their authority by God. Because they're God's ministers, you also pay taxes. Now, what, what, what's the logic here? All right, let's think through the logic. Governments only exist by common grace because God's authority sets them up. That was part 1. You got to go back and listen to part 1. That was almost the whole sermon. Okay? Then those ministers accomplish God's will even if it would contradict scripture because God's sovereign will often contradicts his prescribed will, and we've preached on that too many times for me to open that up right now, but it's for His greater good and glory. And if you have questions about that, I could direct you to a whole ton of sermons we have in the, in the catalog, okay? Let's leave it at that for now. But here's the deal. Because they are God's servants for our good, bearing the sword not in vain, creating order, punishing evildoers, we are to fund that. We're to fund that. How? Taxes. Now, everyone has opinions on taxes. Literally every single person in this room, if you're of the tax paying age, you have opinions. And my guess is taxes are too high, right? Amen, taxes are too high, okay? In fact, I'll I'll be real transparent with you. I started paying taxes when I was 16 because I got a a legal job when I was 16. I actually started working when I was like 11 because I was that dude. I was just like, I need money. And this is how you get money. And so, I've been paying taxes since 16. I'm 41 right now. Listen, this year, 2021 taxes, I owe more this year than I ever have in my entire life. You know why? Because in July-ish, August-ish of last year, the government was like, here's your advanced child tax credit in the form of a check. And I was like, free money. (laughs) No. No. No, because when my accountant sent back my finished taxes, I was, I, I was like, what happened? And he was like, well, and he listed out about three things. But the main thing was, you spent your, your child tax credit, bro. Dang. So you know what? You know what? I had to set up payment plan with the IRS. And guess what? I'm going to pay it. I'm going to pay it. So, so you're not going to see the IRS come in here and grab me up and take me to prison, you know, so I can work off my debt. I want to pay it. You know why? Because this is why I pay taxes. Because, listen, in obeying Scripture, I'm glorifying and honoring God. And he was like, hey, Chris, in a couple months, you're going to be going through Romans 13. What are you going to do, man? And you know what else I do, friends? And listen, I commend this. That's why I'm telling you the illustration. I report all my income. All of it. I don't hide anything. You know why? Because God sees. And I am far more afraid of disobeying God. There's nothing you can hide from him. You might be able to, oh, I only made 20000 When you made 50000 God sees. And listen, when God gets justice and he does discipline his children, not for punishment, but because it's discipline. Hebrews 12 says, what father doesn't discipline the child he loves? It's not punishing you for your sin, but rather disciplining you to do right. You don't want discipline because you're lying on your taxes. And yeah, you have all kinds of justifications. I know I have them too, but you know what? I would rather be on the side of obeying scripture and not having an unclear conscience, which is what it just said. We obey not only because of fear of wrath, but because of a clean conscience. I want to be able to have all my financial dealings as far as it depends on me. Clean before God. Now I'm sure I mess up because the tax code is like a library. It's so complex, they literally need a massive governmental department just to work it. I, I think it's too complex and it's way over overdone. But the Bible says, Man, pay your taxes. And so I'm gonna do that. Now you know what else I do, which I commend? You should take every write off that you possibly can. Because that's legal, and that's a way for you to keep more of your earned income. And yes, it's more work to keep receipts and get the app and you know, track all that stuff. But you know what? You're being a good steward. Okay, so, so take all the advantages you can to write off as much as you can so you can pay less. And if you're worried about, oh, that's selfish, give it to us, man. We'll take it to Uganda and put it to good use. We'll, we'll buy some new chairs. We'll buy some new video equipment. We'll give the pastor a raise. Yes and amen. I'm glad you're clapping. Elders, you heard the clapping, okay? Heard the clapping. So we pay taxes, okay? Why? Because we fund the ministers of God, every person. And notice, they're ministers of God. And I know you don't like that. I don't like that the IRS is a minister of God. I don't like it either. But it is what it is. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. All right, I got got about 13 minutes, so I'm going to do this. What was Jesus' approach to taxes? It's interesting, actually. Uh, Twice, at least, he was confronted with the idea of taxes. Let's look at it. In Mark 13, I'm sorry, 12, 13 to 17, this is an episode where uh, Pharisees and Herodians, Pharisees, the religious strict uh, camp, Herodians, pro-government, anti-Pharisee, they come together because they hate Jesus. They have a common enemy. Hey, my enemy is my friend when we have a common enemy. And that's the case here. So they're coming together to try to destroy Jesus, to trap him in his talk. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Flattery. Here's the trap. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And you can just see the smile. Now, There's a reason, there's some hidden context, which I'm going to open up here in a second, but let's keep going. But knowing their hypocrisy, that that word is from the Greek theater, two different masks, character playing, uh, one actor playing two different characters. He said to them, why put me to the test? Like he sees right through the trap. Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. And let me look at it. And they brought one. It's a Roman coin, by the way. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? One, notice he didn't even have one. They, They had to find one in the crowd. Caesar's. Caesar Augustus. Did you know that on this coin, it literally is inscribed son of God with his picture? Now, you know what the first commandment says, right? Have no other gods before me. Second is like it don't make an idol or an image of anything on heaven and earth. And to make it worse, the Romans thought that an image carried with it the mystical presence of whatever the image was of. Whether God or man, and Caesar was worshiped as God. Caesar is Lord, was the proclamation. Which is why in the New Testament, a test of your faith was Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar. And so whose inscription is on this? Whose image? Caesar. Caesar Augustus, son of God. They said to him, Caesar. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Now this was so brilliant because not only was his inscription on it, but it was out of his own mint. It was his. And he distributed it. So they were literally holding his money. This coin is actually Caesar's. And so you give to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, pay your taxes. But then here's how he gets out of the trap. And to God, the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. All right, now now pause. Here's what's in the background that you do not know. When this specific tax came about, um, there was riots and insurrections because of this tax. When Jesus was just a baby. And did you know that the man who started these riots, uh, his name was Judas of Galilee? How many of you have heard of Judas of Galilee? Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Judas of Galilee. He does show up in Acts 5, so he's a biblical character, not just a historical character. And the context here is the apostles are in court, and they are charged not to speak in the name of Jesus. And this is where that famous quote is, we must obey God rather than man. And then the very next verse is, and they wanted to put them to death. But a wise Pharisee named Gamaliel stood up and said, brothers, very respected, brothers, listen. And so they're like, all right, let's, let's let him speak. And here's what he says. There was a, there was a man who rose up and he, and he drew a following after him. And once he died, uh, his followers were dispersed. Five thirty-seven. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census. Remember Luke, first couple chapters, in the days of a census was taken and everyone had to travel to their hometown. So it's in that season when Jesus was just a baby, just born. In the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him, he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. Now, we, that's all we know biblically, but Josephus, the respected Jewish historian, writes about this man. Here's what he said. He, Judas, called his fellow countrymen cowards for being willing to pay the tribute to the Romans and for putting up with mortal masters in place of God. They have an unconquerable love of freedom. That's, that was Judas, or I'm sorry, um, Josephus' assessment since they have accepted God as their only leader and master. He continues, Judeans began paying taxes to Rome in AD 6 when Caesar Augustus terminated Herodian rule over Judea. According to Josephus, a Galilean named Judas provoked widespread opposition over this taxation, maintaining that it was a form of servitude inconsistent with God's sovereignty over Israel. Now get what's happening here. You heard the background? Should we pay this? In their minds, we know what happened to Judas of Galilee. Maybe it'll happen to Jesus from Galilee. Remember, Nazareth is in Galilee. And so they're trying to trap him because if he says, pay the taxes, all the people were not for Roman rule because Rome was literally stamping on the Jews at this time, oppressing them. And guess who was funding the oppression? The Jews by taxation. And so if Jesus said, pay the tax, he was going to lose all favor with the crowds. He'll lose all his credibility and authority. But if he said, no, don't pay the tax, what happens? Oh, he's another Judas. Let's kill him. You see the trap? But him knowing the trap cuts right through it and he says, whose image is on this? Now get this. At the end here, and to God, the things that are God's, that word image, icon. Whose icon is on you? God. And interestingly, also the image of God was on Caesar, which Jesus knew. And so he's saying, look, you give Caesar the money, but you know whose you are? You're God's. And so is Caesar's. And so you give to God the things that are God's. Now, what does the psalmist say are God's? What belongs to God is another way to ask it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all the people in it. That's a brilliant answer. You pay the tax, but you serve God who rules Caesar and rules through the taxes, God's servant and minister, common grace. You see that? And so Jesus does make a distinction between who has ultimate authority, God, and Caesar, who is under God's authority and serving out his purpose and will. All right, one more. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Is he not going to pay the taxes? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? So Notice, Jesus knows what's going on and Peter doesn't even get to speak and Jesus speaks up first. You might miss that. What do you think, Simon? Simon was Peter's other name. From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them. You see the purpose? Not to give offense to them. Go to the sea. Remember, Peter's a fisherman. Go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. (laughs) Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. I'm going to give you a miraculous uh, tax credit here, Peter go fishing, you get to keep the fish, man, that's breakfast, and open the mouth and go pay my tax and yours. Now, here's the point, friends, listen. He said, Christians are sons of God, and so we're actually free. Did you know that we belong to a whole other kingdom? And so we're free. But we're supposed to work within the governing authorities that we find ourselves for this season. It will not always be like this, friends. Jesus is ruling and reigning right now, and one day he's going to squash all lesser rule. We'll get to that in just a second, peripherally. But the deal is, we, so not to offend, and to obey Romans 13, we pay the taxes, okay? So notice how Jesus always does this twofold thing. Hey, let's not, let's remember that the government's authority only goes so far, Right? Render to God the things that are God's. Are the sons uh, of the king free? Yes, they are. So in one sense, we are outside of the governing authorities, but in a whole other sense, we're under them, right? Can you deal with that tension? Because the Bible spells it out clearly. We're both under their authority, under God's authority. And when the government steps outside of God's authority, we obey the authority of God. Render to God the things that are God's. All right, a couple quick applications and we're done. You guys hungry? Good. I hear there's a bunch of ribs back there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Christians are first and foremost citizens of heaven. Okay, so here's some identity. You ready? Your identity is is crucial to many things in your life. Okay, Your primary identity, friends, can never be your political affiliations or your team or your tribe. If that's number one, no wonder you fight with everyone and you defend to the teeth your God, G, small g, God. Okay? Friends, you're you're a son and daughter of God first. Tim Keller likens it to a deck of cards. And he says the top card has to be you're in Christ, you're a son and daughter of God. And maybe way down at number 10 card is your political affiliation. But what for many of us, we're like, that gets to go on top. and So we wear the hat and we have the t-shirt and we're, I am primarily allegiance to this party. Not if you're a biblical Christian. And so did you know that Yes. I love the United States of America. I'm I'm all for America, man. I get to operate and, and build the kingdom of God here. And I, I've been working, like I said, since I was 12 here and I've been able to invest and have kids, all that stuff. But you know what Philippians says, our citizenship is in heaven. You know what that means? That means I am a dual citizen and my primary one is where in heaven. My secondary citizenship is as a U.S. citizen. Now, what does that mean? That means a lot. Now, we could do a sermon off that, right? Because all the Christians from all the other nations around the world are also citizens of heaven, which means you have more in common with them in Christ than you do with your fellow American citizens. That also means politically, friends, if you're a Christian, you have... More in common with your citizenship in heaven than to your political party. And I know to some of you that sounds like heresy. But the Bible says we need to make sure we're having our identity cards in the right order. And you must remember that before you're an American citizen, and then underneath that, before you're your your political party, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And you owe allegiance to the king the king of kings and the lord of lords jesus he is your primary authority and we know his authority by his word and so we live under the word so if the word says we should obey the local governing authorities as long as it doesn't contradict his authority we do that okay so number 1 our citizenship in heaven number 2 everything will be subject to jesus eventually i'm not going to read this whole thing but i just want to write down here okay don't don't be afraid don't be afraid Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. The his is Christ. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he, God, is is, uh, uh, accepted because, I'm sorry, let me read this again. God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. Verse 28, when all things are subject to him, Jesus, then the God, (laughs) then the son, Jesus himself, will also be subjected to him, God the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. That's confusing, isn't it? But here's what it says. God the Father, we, we do serve a triune God. The Christian God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And though they are equal in essence and being and authority, they are different in person and different in role. Okay? And so the Father is going to subject all things to Christ, but this is a complicated way of saying, but the Father is not going to be subject to Christ. They're already in perfect harmony. But notice, all things are going to be subject to Christ including all earthly rule. All earthly rule will one day be subject to Christ. And so we should be excited about that. And we have prophecy about what that's going to look like. The weapons of war being beaten into farming utensils. What's that an image of? Worldwide flourishing of food and no more war. That's one example of his rule. What's the animal kingdom look like? They stop killing each other tooth and red and tooth and claw, and the lion lays down with the lamb. The child picks up the venomous snake and is not harmed. The the curse on the animal kingdom is reversed. And on and on, we could talk about what the rule of the king will look like. We have a lot to look forward to, okay? Quickly, number three. um, Be encouraged because Jesus will destroy all negative earthly rule, all oppressive rule, and will one day in time, and listen, in his own time, Lovingly rule and reign. Let us not be sectarian. Okay, this is a big one. I, I I pray this for us. Okay, what is sectarian? A sectarian spirit or tendency is excessive devotion to a particular sect or a religion. Now, in the political sense, it means I only associate with my party and those who hold my view, and everyone else is an enemy. We we tribalize into little echo chambers and everyone else on the outside of our little camp and crew is the enemy. Well, guess what? You're a Christian first before your political tribe. And you know what Jesus said about enemies? Yeah. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Why? Because then you'll be like your father in heaven. What does that mean for your political enemies? I'm sorry. You got to love them, man especially if they're in your own church. Now, I got a lot more application here. I'm, I'm going to skip because you don't want to do part three, do you? No, you don't. One, one more. Politics often functions as religion and worship for many people. Because they don't have a transcendent being to worship and devote their lives to, They devote their lives to smaller, functional saviors, and they treat politicians and their promises and their policies like, you will save me. Friends, only God is savior. And so what we have, as more and more of the culture rejects the true and living God who has all authority, politicians and parties get propped up as God. And that's why you see so much venomous language and so much clash and opposition in our culture because it's actually a battleground of gods. That's what's happening. Friends, we have a capital G God we're to worship. Let us not worship our favorite political hero. What a small, puny God. You remember when Hulk grabbed Loki and was just like, puny God, (laughs) Right, that's, that's the way we should think about our favorite politicians. You just think of Hulk smashing them around like a, like a rag doll. Because that's what God will do to anyone who tries to oppose his authority. That's why we read Psalm 2 earlier. The, the encouragement for the nations is kiss the sun, lest he become angry. Okay? All right, let's end with the gospel. Let's end with the gospel. Here's what happens with earthly rulers and authority. Often, often, they demand allegiance. They demand to be served. They prop themselves up as if they are heroes. Not all, most. Okay? And, they, and they think of those under them literally as under them. Like You're not on my level, man. You're not on my level, girl. I'm up here looking down at you. And that's not all. That's not all. But you know what Jesus did as the one with the most authority? Literally, he is above all. In truth, not just in his thinking, in truth. You know what he did? He humbled himself and became a servant. In fact, here's what uh, Matthew 20, 25 to 28 says. Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them? the authority, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, your slave. Verse 28, even the Son of Man, Jesus' title from Daniel chapter 7, the one who would inherit the nations, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and what? Give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, do you realize that the God who deserves all worship and praise for sustaining your life and then further giving his own life for your life on the cross, substitutionary atonement, then says, I came to serve my people. And did you know that every day he invites us, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, hey, cast all your cares and anxieties on me. You know why? Because I care about you. Anything troubling you, any burdens you're carrying, I'll take it. You realize that invitation is for you. And he's the King of Kings, the Most High Ruler. Talk about service. Hey, what's troubling you? I'll take that. What's bothering you? I'll take that. Friends, this is our God. The highest being takes the lowest position even to death on a cross in humiliation that we not only might be lifted up, but that we might be served by him, loved by him in his own household. And how can we not in light of that then want to live and serve for him and love him? Right. In view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. All right. So we're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. We're going to celebrate by taking communion. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. I pray that you are in that ransomed. You are in that camp that Jesus came to give his life for. He died on the cross that your sins might be forgiven that anything you've ever done to him and to others can be fully forgiven and you can be set free by receiving the forgiveness that is offered to you. And by turning from your sin, he will forgive you and receive you. And so we take communion as a sign, a symbol, a remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross about 2000 years ago. And so we're going to Uh, sing a song. We're going to do it a little bit differently tonight. We're going to sing from a digital platform. We've done this before. Uh, And so the words will come on the screen, but you'll hear the lyrics through uh, the speakers. But before Eric plays that, friends, I really want to commend to you these two books, okay? And I'll remind you again after we say amen. Uh, This is, How Can I Love Church Members Who Differ With My Politics?, and then, how the nations rage? Rethinking faith in politics. Okay, I highly recommend these. But we'll talk more about those after we say amen. Could you please stand?